Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And we have such a fun episode for you today. I am so happy that we had Aminatu and Anne on. They were just wonderful and their friendship is so incredible. And I finished the book and just like love them, love the book. Excited to share this conversation with the world. And in case you don't know who we're talking about, Aminatu So and Anne Friedman are the co-hosts of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast. And they are also the authors of the newly released book, Big Friendship, which we are obsessed with. But Before we get into the episode, this episode is sponsored by Knight, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow. But now they also have face masks, and we are super excited to tell you more about them later in the episode. And if you would like to take 20% off your Knight order, you can use code BOP20 at discoverknight.com. So Becca, how are you? I'm good. I have three highs. Wow. Let's get into it. Last week, I also had three highs. Like, apparently, like, the crash is coming, but it's a high week. Great. Okay. So my first high is that a couple of weeks ago, I was saying that I am worried about finding freelance work. I I had a project ending and it would be hard to backfill during COVID. Um, And the universe delivers. So the next week, something fell into my lap on Monday. I signed the contract by Friday and I have a new project that I'm working on. So I'm very excited that I have work. That's amazing. So that's the first one. The second thing that also just came out of nowhere I got a $5,000 tax refund. That's crazy for being someone who's self-employed. I mean, that means that I paid too much on my estimated taxes. Yeah. But, you know, it's my money. But I, I'm i like great. thrilled the government was holding on to it. And now I get surprise money. That's great. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. And then the third thing is we are, I would say, like 90% of the way through our second draft of the second season of Rom-Com Pods. And I am so excited about the story and the script. And I feel like we're better at it this time. Yeah. I'm so excited. So we're trying to finish it up by tomorrow so we can send it out to some friends and early readers to get feedback. So I'm just very excited. I'm very high on my own supply this week. That's great. What are your highs? Um, Mine are that I had Zoe time last weekend. We went to the park. Um, we went in the swing. By the end, like she, like it's so cute when you go to see her. She's at first, she's oh, and Zoe's my niece, just for the record. Um, she's usually a little bit shy, not really sure. But by the end, she was like jumping. She like jumps on your lap. She's really into being read too. She loves books. She like would jump on my lap with a book and just like just stick her butt in my face, which is like the cutest thing. Like, on the swing, she wanted me to push her and not my sister. Aww, um, it was the best. And then the other high is that I (laughs) had some personal upkeep this week. I got a bikini wax. I got a manicure pedicure. And then yesterday I went and I got my hair highlighted and cut. You're a whole new woman. And the cut was the biggest thing. Like the color, they kind of just like adjusted it so that if we get quarantined again, it won't be so bad. Um, And But it needed a cut so badly. It had been over 10 months. Wow. I'm thrilled for you. Yeah. So that was good. Do you feel shiny and new? Sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel better than I did before. Great. I've just been in like a little bit of a funk. So. Well, what's your low? My low? I Well, I continue to just feel um, uncertain and nervous about what's going to happen. I'm trying to live in the moment and enjoy the fact that we have nice weather and that we can still go for walks and all and that things are kind of open right now for us. My low is a funny one. I was out for a walk. And one thing I've been trying to do is buy 
like make smaller trips to the grocery store for like smaller things, like just go to Meckleberg's and buy like what I need for the next day or two so that I have really fresh produce. So I was like, oh, I'm on my walk. I'm heading home. I should go to Meckleberg's and buy because I love their tomatoes and all of their cheese assortment and their baked goods. It's like, I'm going to buy some groceries. So I got just like three tomatoes, a lemon, a lime, um, some ricotta cheese, just like stuff. Well, they put it all in a paper bag and I started walking home and I was on, I was two and a half long blocks away from our apartment and the paper bag, the bottom of it just gave out. Oh my God. I feel like that's like from a movie. It was. And I was like waiting for a dashing handsome stranger to come help me, but like we're social distancing and (laughs) that doesn't really happen in real life. And I was wearing a mask and et cetera, et cetera. But I hadn't, I was out for a walk, so I didn't have anything else with me. I didn't even have a purse. I was like, what the hell do I do? I had to pick everything up and this is so gross, but I found like a a plastic bag on the street (laughs) and I just put the groceries in those. And then I got home and I washed them real well. Cause it was like either like use this gross plastic bag that's on the street or just abandon $50 worth of groceries. Oh my God. So it was just very, it was a funny low. I was just like, really, really? Like I'm already like in a funk and like the nice groceries that I bought to treat myself to a nice tomato and ricotta salad are everywhere. Some of the produce went under a car, so I didn't get, I was unable to recover that. This truly sounds like it's from a sitcom. It does. It felt like it, but that's my low. Um, I don't, I don't truly have a low. I do think I gave myself food poisoning the other day. Oh no. Don't say that because people are going to be like, you have COVID. No, I, I mean, I think I just like ate something that I feel fine now. But um, I'd made this recipe. It was like a sheet pan sausage and Brussels sprout and potato thing. And I made it one day for lunch and ate it. It was totally fine. It was delicious. Great. And then I had it the next day for lunch reheated. And like immediately afterwards, I was like, I do not feel well. Oh, no. And then it just kind of like stayed throughout the day that I was like, I do not feel well. So, I mean, the downside of all this cooking is like. I think I food poisoned myself a little. That's tragic. It's. I mean, it's fine now. Yeah, I'm glad you're okay. I'm yeah. glad it's not COVID. No, it was. It was all things considered pretty mild. Yeah. So before we get to this interview, quick desperation minute. If you're loving this podcast, what can you do, Grace? You can do so many things. You can leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can take a screenshot of the podcast and throw it up on your Instagram stories. You can tell a friend to listen to the podcast. You can go to the Apple store and go to every computer and leave reviews from every one of those computers. I love your depth of commitment to that idea. You can go on a date and leave a review from your date's phone. Grace, I love these ideas. Yeah, I'm just trying to come at you with some creativity here. Yeah, some of these people have been listening for a while. Maybe they've already done all the other things. Yeah, and, so, and so they're needing Get wild. New... Leave a review from someone else's phone. There you go. <laughs> Let's get to the interview. So we are so excited to have Aminatou So and Anne Friedman with us, who are the authors of the newly released book, Big Friendship, which came out on July 14th. Together, they also host the long-running podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Welcome, Amina and Anne. Hi. Hello, hello. We are so thrilled to have you. I was telling you this before we started recording, but I read the book before it came out. I am obsessed with it. Um, and I am fully a believer that friendship does not get the hype it deserves in the media. So I'm glad that you guys 
are taking up the cause. Fully, fully embedded in the cause, I would say. (laughs) I'm so glad. So wait, so the book came out on the 14th, and I think some of our audience has probably already read it. But can you give us a quick pitch for the book for those who haven't? Wow, the radical friendship agenda is here. Um, <laughs> like like socialism, but for friendship. Um, you know, the book is a um, big friendship is a memoir of our decade long friendship. And I have been friends for um, a little over 10 years. And we were really looking to find a language um, to really describe the kind of friendship experience that we have. And, um, you know, we are, we are very, very, very close friends. And, but we couldn't find really a vocabulary to talk about how do you handle friendships after college, in your 30s, life is happening. And, um, you know, and you have people in your life that you want to keep in your life for a really long time and people that you really want to center in your life as, um, you know, as we all get older and busier and get distracted by all sorts of other very, very important life things. And so we came up with this term, big friendship, to really distinguish, um, you know, the tier of friendship, essentially, that we we think it is. Friend is such a weird word. It can describe literally anyone from, you know, someone that you met at a potluck once and now know on Facebook to someone that is someone you want, you know, on the last day that you're on this planet to be with you. And so we, and that's you, just in case you, you don't know that. Um, I'm, trying life, I'm, I'm trying to do life with you like every day. Um, yeah, you know, and so, and so it was just really important to us to, um, to find a way into telling this story. And, um, and we use our life as the, the kind of uh, the through line for the story. But there are interviews with experts and, you know, interviews with our friends and a lot of just you know, I would say like a robust pop psychology about what is going on in the realm of friendship. And we were so excited to write the book because it turns out that everything that is hard in our friendship and everything that is good in our friendship is very recognizable um, to everyone else in their friendships. So that was really, um, that was really heartening. We really want to talk to you about the writing process because we thought it was so interesting that you were able to tell your story with both of you writing, but in one cohesive voice. How did you do that? It was not easy, I will tell you. Um, There were a lot of moments, I think, where we questioned the the choice because it is hard. It is hard to find a joint understanding about ideas and events that you've both lived through. And I guess the book proposal writing process is where we first came to realize that maybe this joint voice was the best way to tell our story. In part because maybe the natural option would have been dueling chapters or dueling sections. You know, here is how I experienced it. Here is how Aminatu experienced it. And then we'll let the reader decide what really happened. Or we'll let you pick like who, who you kind of identify with. And we really didn't want to force that choice onto our readers because I think that the more knowledge we've gained about our friendship, the less we feel that it's like one of us was right in a scenario or one of us was wrong in a scenario. It's more like, here are the ways we connected and here are the ways we missed each other. And a joint narrative really felt like the way to get at the heart of that, as opposed to just these questions of us spinning out separately in our own brains. I also think that a lot of friendship writing that exists in the world is about one person in their own brain reflecting on a friendship. And so rather than double that up and say, okay, we're going to give you like 
Elena Ferrante times two, both perspectives, or like <laughs> something like that. We really want to create something different that reflects that both of us are part of the process of telling this story. Um, and it was definitely not always easy to um, to come to that joint understanding. But I I feel right now very, very grateful that we put in that work because now it's truly a product of both of us. And if you say, I love the book, you know, not even we can tell you um, wh whether a sentence was written initially by one of us or the other. You know, the whole thing is so tightly woven with both of us. And as far as the writing goes, were you doing it mostly in the same place or were you doing it remotely? We um, very quickly realized that we had to do it in the same place. Um, our podcast is something that we do remotely. And, you know, we have a process in how we do that. And it's fun and it's great. But in order to write this book, we had to spend some serious time together. And so we went on, you know, a handful of intense writing retreats. And it was fun. It, you know, I, and we never got to be roommates. But I feel that like in the writing of this book, I've really experienced what it would have been like to live with you. And I think we would have made great roommates. It's true. Our kitchen etiquette and like shopping together, uh, like alignment is is unimpeachable. That's such laundry, a high compliment. Yeah. Laundry. Yes. yes. Laundry. We figured it out. Another I thing. I will sort your underwear out of mine any day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that makes me really happy. Thank you. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was so interesting that surprised me about the book was how personal it was, because I feel like the version that we get of you on the podcast is obviously very, like, I feel like I know you, I feel like I'm your friend, but I feel like it doesn't go into your personal life as deeply as this book did. Was that something you knew was going to happen from the beginning and you were like, okay, we're diving in? Or did that kind of happen through the writing process? First of all, I have to say you're very perceptive, because I think some people ask that question um, in a way that um, indicates they think we've been really exposing ourselves on the podcast as well, which is not how we feel. Um, I knew that we signed up to write a memoir. I think we both knew that. <laughs> but as for the level of detail that we both offer about ourselves as individuals and from within the friendship, I am not sure that I had fully, I'm not sure I still have fully come to terms with the fact that that's all out there in one place. But I will say that um, I think we made some very deliberate choices about what to be, what to expose ourselves on, like what issues or what's, what events, because they are ones that serve like the bigger story or really serve to illustrate points that we wanted to make. And, and we had to write it as a memoir because, you know, it's not, it's not like saying, oh, friendship is a beautiful house. Let's describe it from the outside. Let's show you the neighborhood it's in. It's like, no, we are inside the house. Like we are, <laughs> we are like, you know, like fully like looking under the couch cushions. And, um, and so I would say that, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely different. And I, I knew it intellectually, but I'm not sure I knew it emotionally, like how, how much we would have, we would be sharing. I don't know. I don't know. What's your experience? I mean, very similar to yours. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that um, you're right. This question was like very perceptive and astute. So that makes me really happy because I, you know, as much as like people are like, yeah, I feel like I know you. I'm like, actually, we don't really talk about ourselves. We talk about things that we like. And we, you know, I think that because our show is like, we talk about like feminism and pop culture. And we, you know, like we'll talk about menstruation and poop and all these things that are very... Uh, you know, usually people are like, oh, you can't talk about that. There's just a feeling that we are 
exposing ourselves and actually you know i think that a careful listener of our show is very much onto that it's like we talk about things we like we never talk about ourselves and um and the book is very different i i definitely um you know intellectually knew that i was signing up for this but it's it's very weird to just that there is a thing that exists now that maps out kind of my life and also definitely maps out this relationship that i'm in and it's strange. It's like the whole thing is very strange. But, you know, I think that part of telling the story together, honestly, in this we voice also means that it felt really safe to do that. And so I, you know, we have exposed ourselves in the same way. And so there's, there's <laughs> not this feeling of, oh, like, I'm too much out there. And Anne's not out there at all. Like that, that doesn't exist. And also, it just it feels good, honestly, on the level of our friendship to say, oh, we can talk about these things that were hard and weird and difficult because they're not painful anymore, you know? So I think that that's the thing that's really um, front of mind for me because there was definitely a time where we were not talking, <laughs> we were not talking to each other about those things and we were not even telling ourselves about them. And so it feels like a real, um, like a real breakthrough. So be like, oh yeah, this doesn't really have any power over me anymore and it does serve this larger story. Yeah. Now, what about promoting this book with everything going on in the world and with quarantine? How has that been like to have to be self-promotional right now and, you know, put this baby out into the world? Are you in quarantine? Is that what's happening? I'm not in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you referring to a global health event? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's I don't know. It's it's strange, right? The whole the whole thing is weird. I um I think that um you know every single human being on the planet is is having these weird grief feelings and um you know we're we're just like all very unmoored right now and um, and life feels weird. But in some ways, um, working together has been really grounding for us. You know, and um, that feels really familiar. We, our friendship is um, because we live in a long distance way, means that the pandemic hasn't really affected it. This is how we'd be talking at all. And in terms of like answering the, you know, the bit about self promotion, I think I don't feel um, any kind of way about it. I think that, um, you know, there's a way to interpret that question and like, like, why are, you know, like, why are you being self promotory right now? And, uh, I, I don't think that we are. I think that we uh, we worked really hard for three years on something that we are ready to talk about with the world. And that's what a book is. And uh, so I don't know. To me, at least, it feels very natural. And do you have feelings about self-promotion in a pandemic? I was just thinking about how nice it is to have a collaborator in this moment. Because if if I do feel those feelings come up about like, oh, God, am I really going to be talking about like buying our book at a time when XYZ, like name a giant, you know, intense thing that deserves our attention is happening. Um, I I always think about the fact that like, oh, well, if it were just Aminatu's book, I would be screaming about it from the top of my house. You know what I mean? And so the fact that we are in it together allows some um maybe some distance or something from from the act of promoting and it, it allows me to like god i had never really thought about this as like a shine theory question but like you know because we are so invested in each other doing well it's like allows me to promote this thing that i am 50 percent involved in without some of the qualms that i might normally have yeah. and and the other thing that i keep coming back to is just like i really believe in this book and i like really believe that we are talking about something important 
And I don't think we do it in a definitive way. Like there can be no other books about close friendship now, like we've nailed it. Um, But I do think that this is a conversation that's worth having yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. And and that I think really feels good too, Um, which I might feel differently about if I had written, um, co-written something that was not of such like deep importance to, to me and to us. Yeah, I can completely see that. And yeah. I, I'm i curious what you think about why friendship as a topic isn't taken seriously or as seriously as romantic relationships or family relationships in media or in academia. Like, I feel like I'm a single woman in my 30s. And if I pulled any of my friends, they would obviously be able to identify that their friendships are among the most important relationships. But I feel like this book is so unique. I've never read anything like it. I'm sure there might be other books that have dealt with this in a different way. But why do you think that we're so dismissive as a culture of friendship? That's such an interesting question. You know, I think that I am just like you. I think that if I pulled most of my friends and, you know, just people in my extended community, even if I'm not super close to them, I think that we are at a point in the culture where everyone, you know, that there's agreement that friendship is very important. Right. I don't think that 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 is in dispute. I think that people, people say and people act like their friendships are important, which is, which is great and amazing. And I think that where, um, where we saw, you know, not disconnect, but really a gap was, um, in the sense that, you know, it's really about the way that we talk about our friendship and less about the fact or the way that we talk about our friendships and less about the, the like, you know, is is society taking it importantly or not? Because what we were seeing is that in in this one-to-one way, people are able to, to make these like very deep, meaningful interactions. But on the societal level, there's not a lot of support. Yeah. Which means that, when your friendship is, you know, and for us, this was really like really came into focus when our friendship became strained and was difficult. And, you know, there's just there's just not a vocabulary or norms around how you figure out, oh, I don't feel good in my friendship. How do I go about fixing that? How do I go about talking about it? How do I go about, you know, just just dealing with the the discomfort of it. And I think that there, there there's so many layers to that, to that issue. Right. I think that one of it is just fully just a hetero patriarchy. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You know, (laughs) capitalist hetero patriarchy is super invested in the number one bond that you have being, uh, being marriage between a man and a woman. It's such a scam. And, you know, it, it just does, it does not work. And it is, um, yeah, it, it's like fully just a scam. And, but it's a scam that society has, like, it has decided is worthwhile. Thank, shout out to the tax code. Um, so I think that that's one thing. But I also think that, you know, people have had, like, we are not inventing the wheel of, um, you know, having deep, significant friendships, if anything at all. What we were trying to do was just name, um, name and label things that we don't have names and labels for. And, you know, the, the second half of your question really, um, you know, like touches on this because we we had such a hard time finding good research about yeah. how adult friendships work, right? If, if we take things seriously, people research them in an academic setting. If we, t- if we say that friendship is important, um, why is there not like a structure or a framework for figuring out um, how to repair a friendship? We say that friendship is important 
why do we not have, um, you know, kind of the all of the same like uh, milestones that are associated in, in other friendships. And we were just finding that um, those things were not being named. And so we were really attempting to, to figure out how to do that because in other relationships, there's shorthands for everything. Like if you say, if you're um, in a romantic relationship with someone and someone asks you how it's going and you go, oh, it's hard right now, you know, it's, it's work. Um, no one dismisses your relationship. They, they really deeply understand that, oh yeah, this is something you're invested in and you're trying to make it work. And that's not true of friendship. We don't really have a way of talking about the hard parts of friendship that don't, you know, make you feel like you're essentially like a child. And there is just this like expectation that, um, you know, you don't really owe each other anything. There is not a strong tether. There's no paperwork attached. There's no, um, you know, just that society is not breathing down your neck about making vows to each other. And so it, it's just this, it's a very strange thing. The messaging around it is weird. Everyone says it's important. And yet we don't really have a way of indicating or talking about how important it is. And we were really trying to get to that. And I think, um, you know, to the point that Anne made earlier, this is not the definitive um, tome about friendship. And what I'm really excited about is that with hopefully with this tiny contribution, it will spark so many other ideas for people to write about how they are doing their friendship and write about things that we do, did not address. This book is very much, you know, the the frame is the particular relationship that Anne and I have. There are a lot of experiences that we don't have in this friendship that are experiences that a lot of friends have. And I am just really excited to figure out how is everyone else doing friendship? Because yeah. I think that it would be helpful for all of us. I totally agree. Okay, so let's take a quick break to talk about one of our favorite sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Knight, the makers of our most favorite pillow. But besides this amazing pillow and the scrunchies and the eye masks and the travel pillow and all the other good things that they make, today we want to talk about their brand new silk face masks that they just launched. Guys, this is my favorite mask. I am never without it. It is so funny. I didn't even realize that I was having this problem until they solved it, but my skin was getting really irritated from wearing a mask on long walks, and especially as the weather got hotter and it was like humid and gross inside my mask, and I was starting to get a little bit of mask knee. So I've been using the night mask for about a month and a half now, and it has skyrocketed to being my number one favorite mask. It doesn't irritate my skin, and it also is just a lot more breathable than my other masks. Yeah, this one is an absolute favorite. I was so excited when Knight introduced masks, and I'm even more excited that now they have one in emerald green, which everyone knows is my favorite, favorite color. Um, it just makes so much sense. After all, you know, the brand was founded on finding materials that combine efficacy with beauty benefits, and so it's just a no-brainer for them to take that signature silk and put it into a face mask that feels great and promotes clean, healthy skin. I also love the smart design. So it has adjustable ear loops that you can use to pull the mask snug. Um, it also has a nose clip, which is so crucial so that I can form it to my nose and my breath doesn't fog up my sunglasses. And we both went for the blush pink, but they come in five cute colors. So they have blush, gunmetal, black, champagne, and the new emerald green, which I am very excited about. The masks also come with disposable filters, 
And one of my favorite parts is that for every mask purchased, Knight will donate five surgical masks to a local New York hospital. They just launched these and have already donated over 10,000 masks, which I think is so incredible. And as always, we have an offer for you. So if you want to try Knight's face mask or their pillow or any of their other amazing beauty sleep products, you can head to discovernight.com and use code BOP20 at checkout. So again, that's discovernight.com and use code BOP20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. Let's get back to the episode. What about public friendship? So one thing that, you know, we we kind of think about as well is that like your friendship kind of is in the public eye. Has that changed the dynamics of your relationship at all? Before we co-hosted a podcast, we were very much known to our shared and individual friends as like very close friends. You know, I mean, I think um, the way we phrase it in the book is that like, you know, from a very early time in our friendship, we've been joined by an ampersand, you know, uh, Aminatu and Anne, Anne and Aminatu, like just reflexively. So in a way, um, I think we have always been recognized as being close friends um, by this extended community that we're a part of. But but yeah, but but starting a podcast together and then having a lot of people who are not part of our uh, community <laughs> listen and um, and become invested in our and, and become invested in our friendship um, uh, was a weird thing. I think um, for both of us, it was it was it was weird for each of us in different ways. Um, we are different people, uh, which is a thing we've not always known. Like that was a real revelation at one point in our friendship. Um, we're different people, and we reacted differently to being kind of the kind of semi-public figure um, that you are if you if you host a podcast or if you make something that is known to um, a small but dedicated group of strangers. And so, um, so yeah, so we each had our own feelings about that, um, and. And also, you know, making things together that appear in public means we work together. And, you know, that was also a shift that instead of just um, having 100% of the time we spend together be very clearly coded friend time, we now had this component that was like work time in a way that was not really intended. We did not start our podcast saying, um, okay, we're definitely going into business together. Like, what's our plan for the LLC? How are we going to make money? Um, we were We were just like doing a fun thing. Um, with our friend Gina, who's our producer. So we didn't also, we also didn't anticipate the, the kind of public facet. And it's really hard to answer the question of like, how did it change our friendship? Because it's bound up in all these other things. It's bound up in work. It's bound up in other changes we were going through. It's like, yes, our friendship is fundamentally different now than it was um, 10 years ago or five years ago. Um, one of those threads is kind of being seen publicly as friends. And what we kind of came around to as we, um, as we unpack this question for the book, is that it's not so much being seen publicly as friends or being perceived as friends that was the shift. Um, the problem really came in when our personal friendship, the kind of real bedrock of the relationship between the two of us, was not doing so great. And that is where the kind of contrast between our working relationship, our maybe public perception, and the real friendship was very, very painful and was something that like, you know, we, we really, we really took our sweet time in, in recognizing and working through, you know, I think it took us a long time to figure out the way all these things interacted. And so, so yeah, it's not a simple answer to how did it change us? But I do think that it has become this like added facet of what 
what kind of relationship we are in to each other and what kind of obligations we have to each other and also the ways in which we know each other. Like in some ways being collaborators and being working through these questions of how we are seen has made us closer, you know, like as we, as we now work through that and and talk about it. So it's complicated is the short (laughs) answer. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. Every time we have this type of conversation with other women who have public friendships, mostly offline, not necessarily like for the purpose of a microphone, like there is something about when you open your friendship to speculation from others and they feel like they have the whole view. Like I feel like probably every six months, like we'll go through a cycle where our reviews are like, Becca hates Grace or Grace hates Becca. And it's like, you don't see the fact that there's all these text message chains and like when we're hanging out, not for public consumption or, you know, this is an hour a week that like we put out there. And also to the point earlier, like it is not our full selves and, and necessarily like every detail of our life. It's what we want to share. But I feel like there's something where we we were talking about this with Christina Lauren, who are like an author duo who write together. Um, and they were also saying that like everyone wants to think that they hate each other and they don't. Yeah. And it's like a really weird thing to have to comment on or like address where you're like, no, we don't hate each other. I don't know how yeah. to prove it to you. Yeah, it's really funny. It is very, um, I, I was going to say interesting, but it's not interesting at all. <laughs> it is, uh, <laughs> it, it's just very telling, I guess, of the expectation that people have of women um, who make things and women who make things together, right? Because the heart of that is really like, oh, women are just catty and they can't get along. Um, you know, please see our work on Shine Theory. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, yeah, I, you know, Back to the the thing we were discussing earlier, that that is extra strange for me, at least, because I, you know, I I understand the the economy of oversharing and I understand like, you know, how you make choices to to open up your friendship or not. And I think that it is um it is not a fair read, you know, of us that we are like that that's what we're doing. I was like, again, like if you're carefully listening, you literally don't know where we are, how we feel. The opening banter is almost always about the weather, which is the most <laughs> mundane thing in the world. I'm giving away all the secrets. Um, can't know, wait for the weather banter supercut that someone can make. You know, oh, it's God. Always like, it's always like, oh, yeah, what did you eat today for a snack? What are you doing? I'm like, no one is talking about their interior lives here. This is an editorial <laughs> product. And you know, and, and I have definitely, um, you know, we've gotten like some mail about this. We don't read reviews or like, or maybe we have one time. I don't know. I, I don't know where the podcast reviews live. Um, <laughs> That's good. But yeah, you know, like I've definitely gotten like mail to this effect of like, oh, the way they talk to each other on the show means that they hate each other or this thing is happening. And, you know, I, my philosophy on that very much is like, that sounds like a you problem. And it sounds <laughs> like a, it sounds like a projection problem. And it is also just a very, it's a very unfair expectation of women who work in the public eye, you know, and, and uh, it, for me, it's, it does make me really uncomfortable. And I think that there is, I understand that the medium of podcasting means that you're you know it's intimate and you're in people's ears and they feel that they know you or whatever i'm like i also listen to podcasts and you know i don't think that um you know uh michael barbero is my friend because he delivers the news <laughs> to me every day so i you know i 
I say this like very cautiously because I do think that there is a dynamic there with a lot of listeners and you know like you you see the like uh you see the commentary on it and um and it's really um it is like from a place of internalized misogyny and it's also from a place of just being really deeply unkind if we did not like each other I struggle to see a way in which we would work together and also and also if we didn't like each other and we were trying to work it out um guess what a lot of people do that all the time and the the judgment of it is um and the expectation that you know it's just it's other people always have problems and you don't have problems I was like well if you if you live long enough I'm sure that life will show you that that's not true so I I really reject that um that construct a lot because it is it is so unfair to people who are you know I was like we are all just trying to live you know and I I struggle to think of anyone that has a perfect life or has it figured out and just because we make things in public doesn't mean that we are craven people who are you know like doing some sort of podcast reality tv show nobody owes you a single detail about their lives and um you know and if you are so lucky to hear you know about people about how they live their lives you should be probably thankful that they've given you that nugget of information so that's me on the um toxic relationship between um listeners and hosts <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like another i don't know like societal expectation similar to around cattiness is that you shouldn't work with your friends. And I have two businesses with two of my best friends, and I completely disbelieve that. We've had Erica and Claire on um, to talk about workwifing, which is they've written a whole book on. But I guess how have you learned to navigate having a friendship and a business together? Um, and I'm sure some of that is like learn by doing, but like for people who are thinking about it or doing it, do you have any hard one advice? Mm. Well, I will say that one thing that has made it very easy for us to work together is that we have many, many, many shared values. Like I would say that all of our core values overlap almost completely. And that is important in a way that um, I don't think I would have been able to articulate really early in my career. Um, turns out that if you're friends with someone, you probably share some values. <laughs> and then that also makes it easy to work together, right? So there's that facet. There's that facet. Um, I also think that the fact that we have this intimate knowledge of each other makes it easier to ask for what we need in a work context or um, to make choices jointly in a work context. And I think um, knowing how an email is going to re be received by each of us individually when it comes, you know, addressed to both of us and knowing that like when one of us is like, I am tapped out on this conversation. I'm so frustrated. Like we have to table it. That being something that's just understood. When I am hungry, Aminatu knows. Like we are not doing any hard work. <laughs> I am melting down, right? Like I'm the like, same way. It's, it's truly, it's truly a sign of someone who loves me. If they can like, like be like pump the brakes, you have to eat before we go any further here. Um, and And those are things that like, you know, I've obviously been had like a hanger meltdown in an office setting before when I don't work with friends, like, they don't have that insight, right. they are not able to say like, actually, let's just have this hard conversation a little later. Um, so I think that all of those things are usually not discussed when when people talk about friends working together. It's, it's always like a don't mix business and pleasure sort of sort of thing. Um, I will also say I'll also add the caveat that um, I think it is different and in some ways more difficult 
to work with friends inside a structure created by someone else. So like within a big institution, having coworkers who are friends is a fundamentally different thing than like the way that we work together, where, as I said, we have these shared values and we get to make a lot of the rules about what we say mm -hmm. yes and no to. And I think that it becomes more complicated when you are you are by necessity playing by someone else's rules or you are responsive to bosses who might not share your values. And so I think that we have to be pretty precise about what we're talking about when we talk about working with friends as a broad concept. Yeah, I really agree with that. I also just, um, I think that if you are going to work with someone on the level that we, you know, work with each other or, you know, on the level that you two work together, you are either already friends with that person or you will become friends with that person. It's just right. impossible. <laughs> you know, I, like, I'm like, who are these people that are working together that are not friends? You are always working with your friends. And so this, you know, I and I know that for myself, at least, I am only um, good in the partnership that I have with Anne because we are friends. Otherwise, I'm a monster. If I'm not, <laughs> I don't believe it. To the people, I don't believe it. It's I've so never true. Seen it. <laughs> I'm telling you. I am telling you that the the thing that like keeps me grounded and keeps me centered and makes me try to come every day to show my best self is that I love the people I work with. I don't feel that way about, you know, generic office worker number 75. <laughs> oh, oh, you weren't even. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, maybe the document will be 15 minutes late. Like, I don't owe you anything. But, you know, if it's if you have, like, baseline of, of love and trust and respect, of course you're going to be good in that partnership. So I, you know, I, I understand where a lot of times that comes from, the don't mix business and pleasure but the truth is that like, if you're in the business of working, you are going to mix business and pleasure. And so usually to me, all that that says is, like, I don't want to have conversations with my friends that I also don't know how to have with my other coworkers. Like there, there's just no way that these things are not going to crop up the things that make you feel icky about working with your friend. Those same things happen everywhere. And it is, it is true that your, your friendship can be destroyed by a bad work dynamic, but guess what? Try to not have a bad work dynamic and the friendship will be fine. It's not, it's not impossible, but it, it does really baffle me that there is a world in which you can work really intensely and intimately with someone, especially in a collaboration, and that you are not in a friendship with that person eventually. We met working together at, a, at an old day job, and then now we both work for ourselves. But I completely I hear, hear you about being a monster because <laughs> I am such an introvert and like I have no desire to do group projects. And the only reason I can do a group project with Becca is because I like her so much. <laughs> What a compliment. Oh my God. Yeah. I I am I am the you of my collaboration. Thank you for seeing me and for hearing me. I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. I yeah. don't leave the house. I don't want to write the words. I don't I don't want to do any of it, but um I love my friend and I want to spend time with her and this is a great way to do that. Agree. Wow, I'm over here with the group project promiscuity. I'm like, yeah, group project. <laughs> same <laughs> and same. Sure. Oh my god, you two are sure. the same. Well, Yes. <laughs> when are we doing the like the swap? When are we doing the work swap? <laughs> Meet your new work wife. Swap, Grace, will you have me? Grace, will you have me to have and to hold? I will, but we won't <laughs> ever leave the house. To, yeah, the two of you need a balancing force. Like this needs to be like you know, like you, you, Grace, and I need to be the ones to pair up. <laughs> 
like the, the introvert the introvert extrovert pairing here is very important it is <laughs> grace and i grace and i are starting a podcast called called bad girlfriends where we never leave the house <laughs> we don't do anything. there won't be any um, episodes of it <laughs> there won't be any episodes for long distance introverts everywhere tune in next week <laughs> here's a feed of Rather silence don't tune in next week. yeah <laughs> here's some text messages <laughs> Even as we're talking about this, I'm kind of realizing I wonder how much of Don't Work With Your Friends came from a male point of view because I feel so much more. I don't, I just, I feel so much more supported as a human because I am working with my female friends who know me in my full humanity. And like also to the point that Anne made about being hangry or yesterday or two days ago I was a fucking monster because I had to get dressed and go do a thing during the day which I'm not used to in pandemic times and I like literally lost it on Rachel and she was like are you okay and I was like I had to do a thing I had to leave my house (laughs) this is the worst but you know like knowing that tomorrow somebody will still love you even though you're a monster and and like accepting you don't work with your friends you want to harass or be bad to or yeah Yeah. don't work with those friends that's great yeah yeah okay let's take another quick ad break to talk about care of so i love this brand i've been taking their vitamins for well over a year now and i love that it's so hassle-free and they've made it so that we can find a personalized regimen that will actually stick with vitamins can be so intimidating yes so here's how it works so you start by taking a quick online quiz to answer questions about your diet your health goals and your lifestyle and then care of will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements that are specifically tailored to you so they ask you questions like how much sleep do you get do you follow any specialty diets are you concerned about your hair skin and nail health and i really value the personalization aspect because it's meant specifically for me. And I don't know about you, but I find shopping for vitamins really overwhelming. Like you're just in that aisle and you're like, what the heck do I actually need? So I love that their quiz takes all the guesswork out of it. Yes. So Care Of is amazing because they'll ship your selection of vitamins and supplements right to your door. And I love that they have such a focus on quality, science, and research that goes into each of their products and recommendations. I also love that they're doing their research just so that I can trust that I'm going to get the highest quality ingredients. And it's also worth mentioning that you can adjust your pack at any time if your needs or goals change. So what you get is totally up to you. So if you're ready to get into a new vitamin regimen, we cannot recommend Care Of enough. And we have a great offer for you. So you can get 50% off your first Care Of order. Just go to takecareof.com slash BOP50 and enter code BOP50 at checkout. So again, get 50% off your first Care Of order. Go to takecareof.com slash BOP50 and enter code BOP50 at checkout. Back to the episode. So one thing I wanted to talk about, one of the chapters that I found to be most interesting in this book was there was a chapter around interracial friendships. And I'm wondering over the past month of national discourse around race and racism, have either of your feelings evolved or has it solidified your feelings that you shared in the book? Like, where are you at now in thinking? Again, it's that question of like, has there been a change like since we wrote this? Um, And I, and I, I guess, 
I'm inclined to say that like, I, I, I want the answer I want to be able to give you is mm-hmm. that I am, I am always learning things and always kind of revising my self perception when it comes to my friendships with um, people who are not white. So I'm white for listeners. Um, <laughs> and I really, uh, so I want to believe that like, that is like, that is, it is the case that, that, um, that I have, I have learned more and have gained more insights and am, um, have figured out how to show up in, in better ways in my friendships with people of all races and in particular my interracial friendships. I, I don't have like an example at the ready, which tells me that maybe that's not true. I don't have like a specific um, thing and hence the pause while I was thinking about it. I do, I do hope that, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. This is a good accountability question. Actually. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just sitting with the question and I'm, and then I would also just say that like, you know, we wrote this chapter like, you know, long before um, race was happening uh, in every national publication every day. And so I think that a lot of the fundamental truths in it, um, you know, are are very long running things like the dynamics we describe are like long running dynamics in um, interracial friendship. And so that's not like, oh, we were prescient and we predicted a moment. It's like, no, like it's not a moment like this is <laughs> this is life. Um in uh in a racist society like this is just life the way that race happens so um so yeah those are my those are my incomplete thoughts and i'm gonna take this question with me after this interview yeah i'm also thinking about that question i think you know as a black person um race is always happening for me so this moment is not a yeah it like sure it 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 is a moment in the sense that oh yeah a lot more people are talking about it but i think that if you really um ask who those people are those people are white people are talking about it and it's it's great and it's nice but also it is not it is not like illustrative of the the you know the experience that um i as a black person am having in this moment and so I think that there is also like a kind of patting yourself on the back for arriving at a conversation that has been happening since the beginning of time, essentially, that um, I think like some people can fall into. And, and so, yeah, so I, it is definitely an interesting moment. And it's an interesting moment in all of my friendships. And I think that where I personally am at there is that you know, there's a, there are friendships in which this is not a new conversation and it's an ongoing conversation and we're not starting at the very welcome racism exists in the world place, which I, you know, I'm like, I I don't have any of those relationships anymore. And then, you know, then there is also the place of of understanding. And I think we try to get at that in in this chapter about interracial, about interracial friendship that, you know, the the experience is very different for the two people. And the cost is also very different. You know, I think that um, white people get to experience um, these racial moments as awakenings and ahas and these, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure that they're painful and that there's shame there and a lot of things. But there's just a like dots are connecting in a way that can be really exciting if you're someone who is into self-improvement, for example, or you're someone who wants to learn and wants to know, wants to be um, like an empathetic person in the world. And, you know, I'm like, I will never knock that. That is good. I love when I have those moments of discovery also about so many things about my life. But the experience for me as a Black person really is, um, you know, like, great, you are uh, learning about something that is my deep lived experience in a very painful way. And um, you are having an epiphany in a place that has just caused a lot of pain. 
for me and for people who look like me. And so I think that that's also worth discussing all the time, right? And that, um, and the thing that we really try to get at in this chapter too is that why we why we talk about racism as a systemic issue is truly because um, that's what it is. It's like the, the racism is everywhere. It is just, it's, it's everywhere. It's, there's, there's nothing that you touch that racism has not already touched. Like it doesn't matter. You could be watching Bravo, racism's happening on Bravo, on like Selling Sunset. You are trying to, I don't know, like eat your, like eat a meal and food is political also and racism is happening there. Racism is always happening. And it, um, in some ways it doesn't matter how you personally feel about it because we're talking about a system here. And, and we were talking about dismantling a system and not dismantling individual racists. And, uh, you know, and I think that the, the point for us in, in, telling, um, in telling the story about how we experience racism in our friendship is really to illustrate that, oh, this is going to be a conversation that we are going to have for the rest of our lives. There's not a moment where I'm going to look at Anne and go, yes, she has, <laughs> she has a crossover, she has a rise, she has you know like race uh vanquished um, or like woo, we made it through that moment that important right. national moment yeah right <laughs> it, it's just it's it's never going it's never going to happen and um and i think that that you know like everyone should just know that because that should actually comfort you and not scare you and that we are going to have to keep um talking about racism as it happens in the world but also as it happens in our friendship because those two things are very, um, like they're very linked t- together, and you know, and it, and I know that it, you know, for some people, it's like, oh, it sounds scary or it sounds brave or whatever. I, I hear so many of my white friends will always say this. They're like, it's brave or it's scary, and um, and it always makes me chuckle a little bit because you know, I was like, well, I'm like, I'm not brave or anything. I'm just really trying to live my life every day. So, if you're going to have intimate relationships with anybody who is different than you on any level you're going to have to learn how to talk about it and race is a kind of difference that cannot be overcome that just has to be highlighted and discussed all of the time i think that's such good like thoughtful advice we have a lighter question now something that our listeners are always asking us um is about making new friends and especially if you've moved to a new city, which you guys have both done a couple times now. Um, so we wanted to know your best advice for making new friends. Well, like most great things in life, I don't think you get to have a new friend by just sitting back and hoping it happens um, or like wishing for it to happen. <laughs> um, it requires some proactive moves on, on your part. Um, especially I think as people get older and as um, the demands of caregiving and capitalism and like everything else just accelerate. So um, some of it is uh, like recognizing that intention, I think is great. Like in, in terms of a first step being like, oh, you know what? Like I really want more friends or I want, you know, more meaningful friendships. Um, and, and that is a feeling that can happen even when you're not new in town or whatever. You know, I think that um, uh, that is, that is something that most of us are going to have to um, recognize at various points throughout our lives. So, so that's the first thing. Um, second thing is like, you know, again, uh, what are you going to do about it? I, I think that, you know, the very um, first chapter in our book, we write about the fact that both of us, 
in DC in our 20s had, we each had a very close friend who was like on the verge of moving away. The person who was like um, our touchstone. And maybe not on the verge like they had planned, but like they were kind of one foot out the door. And so we both had this feeling of like, oh, we're gonna, we're maybe gonna need someone close to us. And that, um, that didn't mean that we like, you know, took out an ad or whatever, but it did mean that when we met each other and we were really like, ooh, who is she? Like, what does she have going on? I'm really feeling a connection here. Um, from both of us, there was like an immediate follow-up, you know, like I immediately, like within, I, I think I stepped into the door of my house the night we met and sent I mean, not to a friend request, you know, I was like, yes, like, let, let's make this official. It's not um, the best and feeling. I think she yeah. And I think, you know, like the next time we hung out, she immediately invited me to go see a movie, like after this thing that we ended up at together. So like, you know, there was initiative on both of our parts. Once we had met someone we were excited about. Um, and I think that's the next thing is just not being, um, not being shy or worried that someone won't reciprocate and instead just really stating your intention. Like, I think we both, said very explicitly like we want to be friends <laughs> in the early days um and that is not some cute schoolyard thing like that's a really powerful thing to hear from someone um and it doesn't always work out you know sometimes um people are busy or they already have a lot of friends or you're not aligned in the way you think and then you have to try again um but like being an adult is hard <laughs> so <laughs> so there's that and um and so yeah so continuing to initiate the other the other thing that i would say is you know i i have some friendships that have started in recent years and really gotten off the ground because we make like a recurring plan together you know um after bumping into each other once or twice or like having a friend in common we've really said like oh like let's go for a walk every wednesday morning really early or like we're we always go to this cultural event once a month together and those kinds of commitments can make it easy to follow through on the we want to be friends intention, um, rather than just being in the eternal text volley of like, we should get together sometime. I'm curious to make it more tangible. Would you share with us who is the most recent friend you made? You don't need to like tell us their name. Um, and how did you meet them? Oh, I have a very easy. I I don't want to cut you off if you have an answer to this. No, go for it. I'm think I'm literally thinking like, who's my most recent significant friend? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna think about it a little bit. Okay. So I I have like a new I have like a new friend in the pandemic like that oh. like you know, but but I how think are that, you making um, friends during the pandemic? Well, here let me explain. I actually feel like it fits with what I was just saying, which is um this is a person who I met I I think for the first time at a friend's at a mutual friend's gathering like at her house and then um and we really hit it off you know it was like not dissimilar from um Aminatu and I meeting and you know we had a great chat we didn't exchange numbers or anything but then I forget maybe we were on a text thread with the friend whose party it was but somehow we got each other's numbers and then um made plans to have dinner one-on-one -on -one. and at the dinner we were like oh this is real like we actually really want to be friends and this was probably in late February. Like it was very much right as we were all going into lockdown. And so the majority of our friendship so far has been trading audio messages or like, like the occasional FaceTime catch up. And it has been like a really interesting way to get to know someone. Like we just, we know we can't spend time together, but like, you know, the thread will kind of die down and then one of us will pick it up. And because it is voice memos, it feels more intimate than just like, Hey, what's up? You know, typewritten. 
And I feel pretty confident that like once we're out of this, she and I will, I mean, I don't know what our friendship will look like, but I can tell you that we will still have a relationship and it's definitely one that is new in 2020. Yeah. I love this so much. I love a voice memo. This is great. Um, Everyone should send voice memos. Yeah, I have a similar um, pandemic buddy that is someone <laughs> that I pandemic met. friends. I want one. I mean, kind of, pand- <laughs> kind of pandemic friends. And just like Anne met this person, like, right as we're going into lockdown, we had, we, we had made plans to hang out. And then we had to cancel the plans because, you know, social distancing was in effect. And we were trying to model good, um, you know, like, healthy, um, you know, like, behavior for each other. And, um, and it's been really interesting because in the pandemic, she has reached out a lot in this very much, you know, like, no pressure. How are you doing? Tell me your scene. Who are you staying with? Like, what are you? And just, it, it is like a really fascinating way to get to know someone, but the mechanics are the same. It's like someone who, um, someone who, uh, as my friend Sarah says, picks up what you were putting down. Mm-hmm. All, <laughs> all of them. She's like, are you? Sarah always says this. She's like, "Are you are you picking up what I'm putting down?" And um, I was like, "Yes, there is there is this dynamic that you can have with someone." And with my new pandemic friend, she came to to visit my quarantine pod, and we had a socially distanced hang and got to meet a lot of my friends and hang out. And it was very sweet and nice. But there there is something like very kind of no pressure about not being able to see each other in person all the time because I'm very much a I'm an activities gal. I'm like, let's do something. And it's got to be on the schedule and it's got to be recurring. And, you know, and I think there's, there's this scene in um, one of my favorite TV shows, Friday Night Lights, that I, um, I don't quite remember like who does it to who, but some, one of the hot teens tells another hot teen, I'm coming for you. And <laughs> it is, um, you know, and it's this very, uh, very like, uh, you know, like Texas football energy. But that's the energy that I bring to all of my new friendships. You just have to tell them. You're like, I'm coming for you. You see them a couple times at the party. You're hovering around them. And you just have to look them in the eye and tell them, I'm coming for you. And, uh, and I really like that in this um, pandemic friendship, that this person very much has pursued me. And, um, you know, because like Anne said, we are, we are very much social conveners because I think we understood very early on that it's, if you want to be part of a social scene, you should create your own social scene. Everyone wants to be invited. Everyone wants to be invited. And if you do the inviting, chances are you will always be, you'll always be at the party, you know, and it's, and it's something that I know doesn't come naturally or easy to a lot of people, but I think it's fair to say that it also does not come naturally or easily to us. But I think that there is just this expectation that, um, you know, some people are just people that people want to hang out with. And then if you're not, if you're not at the thing that no one wants to hang out with you and you know, I, that's not true. It's like, if you, if you want friends, you should, um, you should actively try to make friends because it is possible that in your, um, all of your overtures, someone great is in the mix. I really like that. And it made me laugh because Becca has this thing where if someone wants to be her friend too much, she doesn't like them because she thinks they're thirsty. Whereas I, I get so happy if someone like, likes me, like has been to my blog or like, listens to our podcast I'm like so flattered that they want to be my friend whereas she's like oh thirsty (laughs) yeah there's not this is the thing I think about like making friends and it's very much how I feel about any kind of relationship you want to have you are never too cool for human connection like it is 
It is humiliating to be a person in the world. It's about finding the right people where you're thirsty for each other. Yes. Yes. You're right. Sure. But I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like, is it thirst? Is it thirst? Or is it like someone is just trying to seduce you and you should be really flattered by that? True. That's where I lean. (laughs) All right. Quick final question before we let you go. What is your favorite book, TV, movie portrayal of female friendship? Favorite. That's hard. I'll take a top three. Take a list. I'm thinking about this. I mean, I'm just going to tell you what is top of mind for reasons of recency, which is season four of Insecure. Um, and really the Issa and Molly relationship throughout Insecure is, is a friendship that um, I really love. But particularly this latest season, the way they talk about, sorry, the way they depict um, the kind of communication breakdown in that friendship felt real in a way that a lot of my maybe more feel good favorite teen dynamics, um, you know, like don't really capture. And so um, that that's just an easy, like off the top of my head. But I will say that I think TV and film, um, like there's a lot to pull from there. There actually like is like a lot, there are, there's a rich um, set of depictions of different ways of doing friendship. And, um, and, you know, we don't write about that in the book. We don't write about the kind of cultural side of things, but, but yeah, it's, we could sit here and list all day, like different, <laughs> different depictions. Yeah. And the one that is really top of mind for me, because I just rewatched the movie is um, this really sweet indie movie called For a Good Time Call. And oh, oh I loved that movie. It's, it was good. so it's cute. So, it's so good because they start off as frenemies. Yes. You know? And I think that there's a way to make that movie in which they're never nice to each other. They I've never care for each other. That. And you should rewatch it. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's so good. We should have movie night. Okay. Ah, I love this Netflix party. It's already happening. Um, Yeah, I just, I really like that. um, I like that movie a lot because one, it's really fun and silly. But two, it also just really, um, it brings like all of the rom-com energy to the friendship, Mm -hmm. to a movie that could be a (laughs) rom-com about, you know, these, um, these women with other romantic partners. And I really, really, really appreciate that their relationship was complicated from the beginning. And I love a story of two people who kind of don't like each other who then decide to like each other because why not? And it really is a cute movie and I I like it so much. Oh, you just made me so happy because it's like one of those really good movies that I totally had forgotten about. I want to watch. We should watch it tonight. Okay. I'm so excited. So you both have been the best guests in the tradition of our podcast. You have earned your very own desperation minute. Can you tell people where they can find your book, where they can find you on the internet and anything they can do to support you? What can the people do? The desperation minute. I love it. That's Don't a- waste our minute. Okay. Oh my God. Our book. <laughs> our, our, everything about our book is at bigfriendship.com. Um, events we are doing. I mean, virtual events, obviously. Um, uh, where you can buy it, um, a little more info, all of our cute blurbs, all of that stuff is at bigfriendship.com. And the podcast is at callyourgirlfriend.com. Um, and I, I don't know, what else am I missing? That's kind of it. Well, What's you've your got Instagram? your newsletter, your Instagram. Oh, yeah. I send a weekly email newsletter. You can find that at annfriedman.com. Love the newsletter. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to shout out? Um, my only plug is that in this family, we love an independent bookstore and we also love the library. We love the library so much. 
So if you can afford to buy a book and you are planning on doing it, we would love it if you supported an indie bookstore in your city. And, um, you know, and if you cannot afford to buy it, we would love it if you requested it from your local library. And um, shout out to all the librarians and the booksellers. Uh, Shout out. Love that. Love that. Um, Thank you both so much. Thank you so much. Grace, call me for the LLC that we are starting. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Introverts, Introverts Inc. LLC. Don't call us. We won't call you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm crying. And I'll just Um, send you an unplanned FaceTime about our new business because that's how we roll. Would fully welcome that. (laughs) (laughs) See you on the iTunes charts. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Should we get into some end matter? I think we should. How about Instagram this week? Okay. So I went on to Instagram and I filtered by my most recent. And the only person I followed this week was Kara Brown. And her handle is Kara R. Brown. And she is one of the hosts of the Keep It podcast. And she's also a writer on the television show Grownish. Um, but I found out about her because I was listening to an episode of one of my favorite podcasts, which is um, The Financial Confessions, which is all about money and women and things like that. And she was interviewed, I think this was probably a couple of weeks ago now as the guest and was talking about how money works in Hollywood and TV writing. And I just, first of all, I found the topic just super interesting, but I also just really loved her. So I started following her on Instagram. Oh, okay. What's yours? Mine is a brand and it's called The Tiny Tassel. Um, This was a brand that I started following back when I was looking for more Um, Black-owned small businesses to follow, but she has amazing earrings. I got the cutest earrings that are like lemon wedge slices. Oh, I saw those. Like they are so cute. And what's funny is I and the founder Mimi is so positive. Like her, she, their account reads almost like following a brand, but also an influencer because Mimi puts herself front and center in a lot of the photos. She's really cute, and she's got like such a good, positive, happy attitude. So. I love following them. They make me really happy. And also, fun fact, my mom started working for Mimi. She um, irons all – so Mimi needs to iron all the clothes before they get sent out, and my mom is her, like, ironer. So Mimi drops off clothing, and my mom irons it for her, and then she comes and picks it back up so that they can, like, work together in a socially distanced way. That's so cute. Yeah. But her stuff is great. I think you'd really like it. Okay. What about on the obsession front? So I have two. The first one is I am obsessed with Tanya Taylor's entire summer collection. It's all so good. Like Tanya Taylor's always been one of my favorite designers. I love like the quality is fantastic. The prints are incredible. I love Tanya Taylor's prints. And um, I like that they're size inclusive. I just got a really beautiful blue and white dress from them. Um, I love everything that they've they've come out with for summer. They also have like these fun – they're like a – they're – Tanya Taylor's version of the Tiva sandal, and I love those too. Oh no, I know you're not a fan, but I love mine. They're so comfortable, so love that. And then my other one is, you know, I love Brightland's olive oil. I know you do. They just launched vinegars yesterday, oh. and they sent me two to try, and I got the balsamic vinegar and the champagne vinegar. And I'm gonna put a, a recipe up on my blog for the salad dressing. But my my sister makes the best homemade salad dressing with champagne vinegar. Which sister? Becca. 
And so I'm going to share the recipe, but it's just basically champagne vinegar with a little bit of grated up ginger, some mustard, salt, pepper, and I forget something else. I forget. But I'm going to get the recipe from her and make it because it's so good. And now I can do olive oil and vinegar on my salads all from Brightland. So definitely recommend their the new vinegars. They're great. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Okay. So I also have two. So I have reached the Britney Spears conspiracy theory part of quarantine. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's true. There's layers. Yeah. Yeah. She is in a conservatorship, but there are like lots of conspiracies around different okay. things. Anyway, I feel like Britney has been in the news a lot recently. I was on a Zoom call with two of my friends who are obsessed with Britney, and one of them recommended this podcast called Eat, Pray, Britney. And he was like, you need to listen to the first 10 episodes of this and it will explain everything. So I'm I'm listening to this podcast now, which I'm very much enjoying and getting very deep into. And while Britney Spears does not have a memoir similar to Jessica Simpson, apparently Lynn Spears, her mom, has a memoir. I'm not sure that I'm ready to get that deep into the conspiracy. Oh, wow. But, you know, just telling you where I'm at okay. mental health wise, which is not a good place, apparently. Okay. So that's one. Um, and I saw a lot of people on our Facebook group asking us to do an episode about it. Like, I have no... Go to Kate Kennedy. She's... Well, Kate Kennedy's doing an episode, but also, like, I don't have any knowledge about this yet. I'm still learning. Guys, you know how I feel about pop culture. But, you know, listen to this podcast with me. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it will explain all. Great. So then the second thing is that on a whim, the other night, I signed up for Masterclass. I signed up too, but I you haven't did? done anything. Yeah. So you were saying that you wanted to sign up, and I was like, oh, me too. And I got an ad because I, I guess I'd gone on their website when we were talking about it, and it was like, Shonda Rhimes will teach you TV writing. And I was like, I do want to learn TV writing from Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> so I signed up, and I started that class, and it's really great. It's like six hours, and the classes are broken up into like chunks between like I don't know, like five and 20 minutes. So it's very like approachable. And it's awesome. Like, I mean, Shonda Rhimes is such a badass and she's someone that I would never have access to in my real life. So hearing from her and her learnings of like writing Grey's Anatomy and writing Skittle is like so cool. And I earmarked a bunch of different ones that I want to take. Hitha was telling me that apparently RuPaul has one that is amazing. I'm so excited to do this. I want to learn more about wine and I want to learn more about like cooking stuff. And Kelly Worsler has one. Yeah. there And there's so much like good design and fashion stuff. Frank Gehry has one. Like yeah. it's Diane von Furstenberg has one. It's wild. I, it's um, really cool. Yeah. And it's only $15 a month. Yeah. Somebody somebody was telling me that they, they listen or watch one during lunch every day. And I was like, oh, that's like a nice little tradition. Like the same way that I do the crossword every morning. I was like, maybe this will be like yeah. at lunchtime, I'll like eat my lunch and watch a masterclass. Mm-hmm. So I'm very into it so far. Well, I've got to use mine, but I haven't done anything with it yet. What about on books? Oh, well, that's something I've been real productive on. I can see that. So I finished Homegoing by Yaa Jossi. Okay, I loved it in the end. I think what my problem with the book, and it's not a problem, it's a beautifully written book, it's an A-plus book, was I definitely, like, if I'm reading something sad, I definitely take on the sadness of the characters. And because there was, like, 20 different characters, it wasn't just, like, a sad story about two people. It was being introduced to 20 different very sad stories over 200 plus years, like 250 years. And I felt like just as you were like really bonding with a character, 
their story ended and you got a new one and a new tragedy. I think it made me so sad. I've never had a book make me so upset. That's interesting. Have you read A Little Life? No. I'd never read that then. (laughs) Um, Well, are there multiple sets of characters over time that are going through struggles? There's four different characters. I can handle four. This was just so many people because I feel like my heart just broke every single time. I had a reader DM me. She's like, I feel exactly the same way. She was like, this book basically every single chapter threw my my heart down the stairs and murdered me. Like, and I felt the same way. I totally see what you, you're saying. I, I loved the way that it was each chapter was a different character. So you could see how this trickled down through generations and like how the starting point is two sisters and one of them is sold into slavery and one of them marries a British man. And then it's about either six or seven generations of their descendants. And I just thought it was so interesting, like how divergent the experiences were as you got lower and lower down the generational tree. I don't know if that's the right analogy. Anyway, I thought it was so interesting to like get the overview as opposed to diving deep. So I liked that about it. It just was so – it broke my heart like too many times. It's an excellent book though. But because of that, I've now only been reading light books. Okay. What have you got for me? So I've read Head Over Heels by Hannah Orenstein, which I know you loved. So good. So Becca was like, it's a book – it's a romance book about gymnastics and you have to read it. (laughs) And I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. And then I wanted to read it because – I like the author Hannah a lot. She, um, we follow each other on Instagram. She's like so nice. But then I was also like, if this book sucks, like then I'm going to feel bad because like we're internet friends. So I was like putting it off and putting it off. I read it in a day. I loved it so much. It made me so happy. So and I also ended up loving the gymnastics I angle know. because I – when, as a kid, like that was my favorite Olympic sport to watch. And I just loved it. I know it was such an interesting B story for a romance. Like, yes, there was a romance, but then in the background, there was this like whole other meaty side part that yeah. was something that I didn't know about, but was also like very fun. And then there was also like a more serious side to it, too. Yeah. I loved it. Loved it. Highly recommend this as like a light, fun book to read. Then I read Big Friendship. I felt the same way you did about it. Um, it was not what I expected, but I kind of knew what to expect because you read it before me. I felt I had felt the same way when I heard that they were writing a book. I was like, oh, it's going to be like a coffee table book, like with like pictures of them and like like little quotes and like things about how they built their podcast. But it was excellent. And I know we just talked about it, but I loved how they managed to combine their voices into one voice. And I loved how open they were and honest about talking about like the good parts, but also the bad parts of their friendship. I loved the chapter on an interracial friendship. Like I just loved it. Same. And for a nonfiction book, I read it in like, not in a day, but I read it in a few days. Um, Loved it. Loved it. Also, after you that, read so I much. I read so much. You guys, like I've been a little depressed. I'm not going to lie. I'm just trying to be honest. Um. And when I'm depressed, I don't see people. I read. I have a little wine. I've been trying to lay off the wine because I don't think it helps with depression. I I don't have like real depression. I'm just sad. Um, And (laughs) I read a lot, like a lot. So then I read another excellent but light book, which is out August 4th. 
And I cannot recommend pre-ordering this enough. It's The Boys Club by Erica Katz. And this had been in my pile for a long time. And I was like looking at it and I was like, I want to read you, but you're not coming out for a long time. This one is about lawyers. And it's kind of like Devil Wears Prada-ish in that um, this girl is just out of law school and she takes she becomes an associate for this big law firm. And Basically, her whole life gets put on hold. Her romantic relationship, she starts drifting from her parents because she's at the office until 3 a.m., like just working crazy hours. And knowing my brother-in-law who works, he worked, he is now going to be working with my sister, um, worked in patent law for so long and what his life was like and the you know, there would be nights where he didn't come home from the office. Or I remember one time he was at the gym and he just fell asleep on the floor, like mid-stretch because he was so tired. Oh my God. Um, so I could, I could relate in with, with his stories to hers, but then there's also a lot more serious stuff. Like there's sexual harassment. There's, um, a lot of sexism and gender discrimination. I tore through this in like, I'd say 36 hours, it was wonderful. I'm going to give it to you when we Great. finish recording. And then <laughs> last night I started reading on your recommendation. So we're also vetting our August books. We haven't chosen our August book yet. but We're um, kind of fighting about it. We have like – Yeah, I really want it to be the boys club. <laughs> but I'm going to read your recommendation next. So we're not really fighting about it. But we both feel strongly yes. about these books. And she's like, you have to read this. And I'm like, you have to read this. Um, the Comeback by Ella Berman. I started it last night. I'm already very drawn in. Um, so I'll let Becca talk about that because she's finished it. I have. But it's been a busy week of reading. Seriously. <laughs> All right. So I have done significantly less reading than Grace. So I finished Older by Pamela Redman, which is the sequel to Younger, which started as a book. The best. I loved that one. It was so great. It comes out in September and it is... First of all, delightful because I love the TV show Younger, but it treads new material, so it's not like just rehashing the same story. I miss those characters so much. I felt like it was such a great way to kind of rebond with them. Totally. Loved it. Cannot recommend it highly enough. So then I read The Comeback by Ella Berman. So this comes out August 4th. It is about a a starlet in Hollywood who... um, got famous in a like teen franchise. So she got famous when she was like 15. And now she's in her early 20s. And she is kind of coming off having a drinking and drug problem. She was sexually and emotionally abused by the director who made her famous. And she is coming back to Hollywood and figuring out how to make her comeback. And I, I will say slight content warning for anyone who is triggered by emotional or sexual abuse. But I was so enthralled by this book. Like it was part psychological thriller about what happened to her and what was go- what she was going to do. And then it has that like Hollywood insidery vibe about like her story about being an actress and then, you know, being a famous person who the paparazzi are following in Hollywood. Like it was so juicy and great, but it also had like such great tie-ins to current events with like Me Too and um just like how we treat actresses and celebrities. Like I oh my god, I loved it. I got so sucked in. 
I can't wait to get more into it. I've only read like two chapters, I think. So okay. I'm just like easing in. But that's going to be my plan tonight unless I do master class. Okay. So highly recommend that. And then I read Like Brothers by Mark and Jay Duplass. So this Oh, Rachel is- got that for you, right? Rachel got this for me. It came up on a group text thread. We were talking about the Duplass brothers who are actors and writers and directors like they were the midwives on Mindy Kaling's show you might recognize them or um Jay I love is them. on transparent and the league you need to watch the league I watched the league the league was my favorite show years and years ago so anyway it came up on this group text thread and Rachel and our friend Maxie were talking about how they loved their book and I was like oh I didn't know they wrote a book yeah and so is it is there an audiobook where they narrate it oh maybe I don't know and so Rachel sent it to me just on a whim and First of all, that's my love language is receiving books that people think I will like. That's my love language is giving them to people. So anyway, I read it really quickly. It's like a it's a book of essays about them as brothers, them as people, but also about their untraditional trajectory inside the Hollywood machine. Yeah. Because um, they've largely kind of gone the indie route. And it was so interesting. And it was really – I felt felt like it was really applicable because it was also a lot about their creative partnership and like – how to create something with somebody. Um, so I felt given kind of what we're doing with rom-com pods, it was also like all these nuggets of wisdom I really enjoyed in it. I love that. So it was great. Yeah. It was a fun little read. So we gave you a lot of reading recommendations right there. And honestly, you have to read Big Friendship. If you enjoyed this interview and are still listening, like just go buy it if you haven't. It's so, so good. But we also want to tell you about our July book club pick, which is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which we'll be discussing next week. It's one of the best books I've read all year. And if that isn't compelling enough, it apparently just sold to HBO to make a TV series out of for a seven-figure deal. And I want to say it was like a 19-person bidding war. Like It was wild. The story, people are jazzed about the story. So... We're very excited to discuss it next week. Yeah. In the meantime, if you would like more of us, join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And I blog every single day over at thestripe.com. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.